Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Genesee Valley Church's online podcast. GVC is a non-denominational church in Flint, Michigan, and our mission is simple. To love God, love people, and love life. I know that you will be blessed by the message and the words that God has for you today. Now, here's Pastor Tony. Praise God. So just as we were uh, sitting there, the Lord uh, brought to my remembrance a verse, and it's over in Ephesians. And if you recall, on the last couple Sunday mornings, we've been talking about just the power of God's Word and just the significance that it holds within our lives. And if you remember, we saw this, uh, we brought this out on Sunday morning that God said that my word is spirit and it's life. It said that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And therefore, we saw in that that the actual literal translation says that the word of God produces real life, meaning the real life that God intended for us to live. And so uh, just as we were uh, worshiping there in the, the one particular song where it talked about uh, the water and just being washed by by the, the the spirit of God and in His presence being changed. Uh, God reminded me of this scripture over in Ephesians chapter five, where He speaks of marriage concerning a husband and wife, but He also likens that under the church. He said it's a mystery, but this is also God God speaking concerning Christ and the church. But He says this in verse twenty seven. He says that He might present her to Himself. A glorious church. Well, let me back up. Verse uh, 26, it says that he might sanctify or cleanse her uh, with the washing of the water by the word. Speaking of the word of God. So notice the washing of the water or of water by the word. What does water do? It cleanses you. What does it do to wash you? It says that it's washed or we're washed by the word of God. And verse 27 is that he might present himself or present her to himself a glorious church, not, ha- not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So notice it said that concerning the bride of Christ or the church, that it's the word of God that begins to rearrange things to make us what God desires for us to be. It's the Word of God that begins to set in line the things in our life that God designed for us to look like, to walk like, to be like. And therefore, understanding that the Word of God is available to each and every one of us. So the Word of God works in your life. The Word of God works in my life. It begins to, when we apply it to our lives, it begins to make a right, or as we remember saying last week, it makes things aligned or come into line or makes them right as a result of getting the Word into our lives. It makes those things what they ought to be. And so with that being said, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians is right after Ephesians there. And I share that to begin with because, again, it is the Word of God that sets things in motion. It gives us the heart and the will of God. It helps us to see correctly the way God wants us to see His heart and His will. If we see here in first, or excuse me, in Colossians chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 
15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Speaking of Jesus. For by Him all things were created that are in the heavens and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, anything or all things rather, were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him, speaking of Christ, all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So let's look at a couple different things there in regards to what we just read. First of all, it says that Jesus created all things. He made all things. All things were made by him and all things were made for him. And so, for instance, um, Dave. Dave is an engineer. Uh, and Dave is one of those crafty kind of guys. He knows how to wire things up and build things and make components. And based upon what he does here, X plus Y plus uh, W equals Z, or however you want to. <laughs> you know, he knows that there is a outcome by what he has built. And based upon what he has built, there is an expectation as to how it should function. And since he is the creator of it, he knows what it should look like, sound like, and how it should function. So if Jesus is the creator and he's created all things, everything, principalities, things that are throned, everything, do you think he ought to know how it should work? Absolutely. So, if he made your physical body, do you think he ought to know how it should work? Absolutely. In fact, you you know, there's that song that you used to sing, you know, the foot bone's connected to the leg bone, the leg bone connected to the knee bone, knee bone connected to the thigh bone, thigh bone connected to the hip bone. Remember that song? Anybody remember that song? Come on. Well, what are we talking about? Every part has its place and it works together. Well, who made us that way? God did. In fact, when you look at the way we're created and the way that we're made, It's impossible for this mentality for us to just evolve into something. It's too elaborate. There's too much to it. There was a creator involved. And therefore, if he created us, he knows exactly how this physical body should work. So a couple different things there that we see as well in the scripture. We'll come back to this in verse 17. It says this, and... He is before all things, and in him all things consist. We'll come back to that. But in verse 19, it says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. So in other words, concerning his body, which is us, we see over in Ephesians that we make up the fullness of him. But then it says this, In Christ, being the creator who we are in, it pleased God For us to have fullness. 
or there to be fullness. And so if there are things that are not working in our physical body, things that are misaligned, things that are not connecting as they ought, then our body is not working at full capacity or there's not a fullness of operation. And so God says he would desire and it pleases him for there to be fullness or completeness, right? And so there's this premise or this idea that when it comes to our physical body that there are things that happen just so that God can get a kick out of it for us to learn something. And that's not the heart of God. He desires for there to be fullness, fullness of mind, fullness of body, fullness in marriage, fullness in the body of Christ. That's his heart. That's his intent. But then notice what it says here in verse 17. It says, and in him is before all things, and in him all things consist. I want to focus on those last few words there. In him all things consist. Now, to read that, it's a little bit blind. But if we begin to look those words up, and not to get overly complicated, but if you'll begin to do a word study in the Greek or the Hebrew, you'll begin to find what things really mean. In fact, how many times have you ever read something and scratched your head and thinking, well, that just sounds weird, right? Or we've heard individuals make doctrines on certain things of how the Bible is worded only because it goes to fit our understanding. But if there would be a little bit of uh, study to follow through and find out what God actually meant through the Greek and the Hebrew, you would find out that there's a greater meaning or that there's a greater revelation to what has not yet been seen or that we have not seen just in the King James Bible for that matter. Right? So here's what it means. In Him, all things consist. That word consist is to mean set in their place. A way of presenting to show or to prove. So we could say it this way. In Christ, in Christ, everything is set or is designed to be set in their place. In Christ, there is something that ought to be presented. Or in other words, it should be presented a certain way. In Christ or in Him, there is something that makes an appearance to show or even to prove. What does that mean? Well, the Bible says that we are in Christ. And it pleased God that Christ or in Christ is the fullness. And so therefore, God's desire is that we being in Christ ought to be able to be set in place. There ought to be a presentation that glorifies God and that there is a showing or something that proves exactly how God intended it to be. Amen? How many of you know that when it comes to receiving Christ, there's going to be a day or a proving or a showing when we all stand before God and we enter into rest? Have any of you seen it yet? Have you ever took a vacation and you've been on, on there, just took a sabbatical, and you, you went to heaven for a little while. No, none of us have seen that, but we believe that. Why? Because of the Word of God. It's told us that God has prepared a place for us. The Bible says that if we receive Christ, that we're going to that place. There is coming a day that everything will be revealed, will come into the fullness. There will be a showing or a proving of that which we believe. 
Well, in Christ, God says that there is something that I desire. I desire for you to be fulfilled or to be complete. And as a result, it gives God glory. Now, before that being said, in fact, turn to John. John chapter 8. I want us to see something here. Actually, in John chapter 9, it begins in verse 1. It says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi or teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now let's stop there for just a moment. There's a couple things that we can see there. One, they identified something that sin had an associ- or excuse me, sickness had an association with sin. And when we look at the scripture from the beginning to the end, we see that that is a consistent pattern. That sin can obviously produce sickness in one's body, right? I mean, the Bible says that we are the temple of the Lord. Well, if you abuse this physical body, whether it be through substance, whether it be through food or whatever it might be, you can abuse this body. And if I abuse this body, which is the temple of God, obviously that just by default is sin because he that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Well, if we know better, then the Bible says that's sin, but that sin could obviously lead to some sickness within our bodies. Doesn't that just make sense? And so, therefore, they identify that there are times that sin or sickness is a result of sin in one's life. But then they ask this question, who was it that did sin? Was it the parents or was it the son? And so, oftentimes, we read Scripture so quickly that we don't just read common sense into it. And we make doctrines upon certain things. But if you look at what they said... Who sinned or who caused this sin? Was it the parents or was it the man since he was born blind? If he was born blind, then that means that he would have had to sin within the mother's womb. Is that possible? No, it's not possible. So that's a a, a, a no-brainer on that part of the question. But then he goes on to say this. In verse 3, Jesus answered and said, Neither the man nor his parents sinned. So he says, this isn't an issue of sin. But he goes on to say, But that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, once again, we read that latter part where he says, Neither one of them sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. There are those that would read that or have read that and said, See, God let that happen so that he could reveal himself through the miracle. But that's not how it's actually translated. 
how it's actually translated is to say, all right, I'm answering the question, neither the man or the woman. But here is an opportunity for God's power to show up. And I'm going to reveal that right now. Come on. Once again, if you think about it just from the natural standpoint, in fact, let me back up. Acts chapter 10 verse 38 says, How God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healed all that were oppressed of the devil. That scripture tells us where the oppression of sickness comes from. Not from God, but from the enemy. And to say that God allows people to be sick for the sake of displaying his goodness is to say that he's partners with the devil. Now, how many of you would say that God is partners with the devil? That he and the devil are in cahoots together just to make you sick, and then God's going to pull a, 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 a whammy on the devil and say, okay, you know what, we work together, but I'm going to heal that guy. It just doesn't make sense, does it? But as we begin to look at that scripture concerning that man, this is what the translation actually says. That he says, these things should be revealed. Here's an opportunity. Now, here's the definition in the Greek. Here's an opportunity for the energizing power of God to set into place, to present, and to show off, and to prove the power of God. Amen. Here's an opportunity for God to show up. Have you ever had the opportunity for God to show up in your life? Absolutely. If you're struggling right now in every in any area of your life, it's an opportunity for God to show up. Do you have to ball and squall and say, God, I sure hope this is your will. I sure hope that I can come to you and pray to you and, and, and ask you to help me in this area. No, the Bible says that we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. The Bible says whatsoever things you ask, believe that you receive, and you'll have them. And so, therefore, I don't have to wonder whether or not this is an opportunity. If something's going on in my life, here is an opportunity for God to get working in my life. And God, I'm going to give you that opportunity. I ask you right now. And I say, God, have your way. Have your way in me. Praise God. Now, what is his way? His way is based upon his word. And the word of God washes and brings us into that image or that perfect image that brings glory to God. Amen? All right. So he says this. He says that he desires it for it to be a demonstration. Now, if you think about it, here is a man that is blind. He needs to be healed. And God, or Jesus, ministers to him and he receives a sight. Well, the Bible tells us this, that God is no respecter of persons. So what makes that blind boy or that blind man so special that Jesus would minister to him and not you? What makes God love him any more than he loves you? Did he have greater faith than you? Did he, did he do something special? Did he give bigger offerings or what was it? No, the Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. If he did it for one, he'll do it for another. If he did it for your neighbor, he'll do it for you. All right, let's look to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Because once again, we 
look at this and we read the scripture from the standpoint as though it's a fairy tale book or it's a story by which we have an example of things in the past. Well, Jesus ministered to people and that was good and uh, we know that he did that because that's why he came. But Jesus also said, these works that I came to do, he says, you do the works and greater works than these shall you do. And so we see one of those individuals by the name of Paul that speaks very much like what Jesus did. We see over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimonies of God. So notice once again, I didn't come to you with enticing, one translation says, enticing words of man's wisdom. I didn't come all flashy. I didn't come speaking very eloquently to get you to believe in what I was trying to tell you. I didn't come and try to entice you by the testimonies of God. He says, but this in verse 2, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And and my speech and my preachings were not in persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should be in the wisdom, not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Did you notice what he said there? He says, I came to you in demonstration of power. That word power is the same as that energizing power that we saw before. He says, I came and determined not to know anything about you or what your current situation is, but I just come knowing that God's going to show up. And when I came to the church, when I came to minister to you, he says, I didn't come with man's wisdom, but I came in power and in demonstration. What was he saying? I came with an expectation that God was going to show up. That God was going to show off. And as a result of doing that, not that you would look at me and say, wow, you're a great man of God. He says, no, I came that your faith would be in God. So that you wouldn't just say, well, that's great for that one over there that Jesus did that for them. But what about us? He says, no, I came that your faith would know that God loves you just as much. Now, when we look at that word concerning demonstration, That word demonstration in power means this, in the showings off of. Did you know that the Holy Spirit, and again, we talks about that energizing power. He's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is a show off? He is. And when I say a show off, he's wanting to make a presentation. He's wanting to show up. He's wanting to show off. He's wanting to get our attention so that our lives can be moved and be changed and be molded and affected by the power of God. Amen. Come on. Have you ever been in that position where when you get, uh, uh, when you've done something, you get some recognition and that makes you feel real good? I mean, I know we're not just all that humble. No, we're all that way. 
I, I think I shared this with you just a couple weeks ago. When my wife, when, when, when she cleans the house, if I don't say something to her, she's like, hey, uh, does the house look nice? Well, see, there was a, there was a making things or making a, a, a things aright within the house. There was an aligning of things in the house. She was making things as they ought to be for a presentation, for things to show in a certain way. And when I didn't recognize it or come in and say, baby, the house looks great. She's like, hey, didn't you notice? Why? Because she wanted that recognition, not for the pat on the back. But she did it for the sake of saying, I did this for you. I did this for our family. And the Holy Spirit is the same way. I'm wanting to show up in your life. If you'll just give me place in your life, I'll make forth for a, a showing a demonstration, a manifestation of my power in your life to do what the Word of God has said. Amen? Think about the man that was let down through the roof. Do you remember that story? The Bible says that Jesus was ministering. And the Bible says that there was such a crowd that followed him because they heard and saw all the miracles that were taking place through Jesus' ministry. Well, they couldn't get the man into the house, so the four friends climbed up on the roof, lowered him down into the room before Jesus. Jesus ministered to him and says, according to your faith, you've been made well. Now, they exercised faith. They heard about all the things, all the things that were made right, all the things that were made uh, uh in the, the way that the body should have been. Eyes open. Lame walking. Dead being raised from the dead. And they came to the place of saying. We want something from you. We know that you've done it. And therefore we're just hoping and believing. That you'll minister to us. And that we'll receive. The Bible tells us that. Once Jesus said according to your faith. You've been made well. He had to turn around and help the guy. And tell him. Well, get up and walk. Amen? So in other words, Jesus said, it's a done deal. Now just get up and walk. And oftentimes that's what we do as believers. The Word of God has told us what God's heart and God's desire is. And we pray and say, God, if you could, if you would, will you please? And God's just saying, well, okay. Get up and walk. What's he doing? He's expecting us to step out on faith. And when we step out on faith, there will be a demonstration or a manifestation of the energizing power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we're stepping out on the Word of God. Once again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, demonstration in power. We saw that it is demonstration or the showings off of the Holy Spirit. And as I said, the Holy Spirit likes to be seen. He likes to be at the center attention of our life. If we could ever purpose to cultivate an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit, we would see so much more things happening within our lives. So many more things happening within our church. Because when we make the Holy Spirit the center of our life, He'll always direct us and point us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit never is looking for the attention, but He's looking to get recognition for the work that He does in our life because it's a manifestation or reflection 
of the fullness of what Jesus came to do. Amen? If we would just dare to believe that the helper, the Holy Spirit, wants to be involved in our life. And once again, we talk along these lines and we get so rigid. And depending on our background, there's that pushback and say, well, I just don't know if I believe all that stuff. Well, then how come it worked all throughout the Bible? Because it wasn't just in Jesus' time. It wasn't just with the Apostle Paul. It wasn't just with the disciples. We see people stepping out and trusting God for the miraculous and big things in the Old Testament before Jesus ever came. The Bible says that we've got a better, uh, better covenant with better promises. Those that were in the Old Testament would, would die for what we ha- have here in the New Testament or the New Covenant Church. But for what we have, we walk in so little of what Jesus came to provide. But we see so many stories of those in the Old Covenant that just dared to trust God for the impossible. Think about it. Over in 1 Kings chapter 18. If you remember Elijah. Do you remember Elijah? He was facing opposition. Did anybody ever face opposition before? Face persecution? Oh, you go to that church? Oh, you believe those kind of things? Oh, you're one of those Christian people. You believe that Bible stuff? Whatever it is. But the Bible says that he came up against the prophets of Baal. Do you remember that? And he finally came to the place. He says, now, the God that answers by fire is the true God. They were out there making noise, cutting themselves, being indignant. And he says, where's your God? And then he says, now, go get some water. He says, I've had about enough of this. He said, let's just see God be God. Amen? And the Bible says that God answered by fire. Amen? Faith always needs something to contradict it. Think about that. God says to walk by faith, to live by faith. If this Christian life is really what God said it's going to be, there are always going to be things contradicting your life. Not enough money in the bank account. Physical body isn't working like it should. All kinds of things, right? Faith always needs something to contradict. If there wasn't something to contradict, we wouldn't need faith. So here's a big question. If living this life of faith always needs something to contradict, then why do we let it get to us? Huh? Why do we let it mess with us so much when we face contradictions or things that are contrary? There are always going to be things that are contrary. Things right now in your life are contradictory to what God said ought to be. Maybe it's concerning your marriage. Maybe your mind. Maybe your physical body. Maybe your finances. All kinds of things. But what do we do? Do we put our faith in the circumstance? Or do we put our faith in God? Once we put our faith in God, then God has something to do to begin to work the contradiction. Amen? So when you think about these these stories of the, the Old Testament. They always have the, 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 the belief system that God has an answer to whatever answer is needed. What needs do you have? 
Maybe it's not physical health or healing in your body, but what is it? Do you believe that God has an answer? Well, what is that belief system? Just simply convinced that God will do it. How many of you believe that God is the God that He says He is? How many of you believe that God will answer by fire in your life? And I'm not necessarily talking literally, I'm talking figuratively. He's the God that answers by fire. The thing that is contradicting your life, that in one, one final swoop, God can come in and make that thing align. He can cause it to prove and line itself up to the will of God. To say, see, God is faithful. Amen? Again, you think about those men that just dared to believe God. In Daniel chapter 3, there was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar, he came and he says, everyone has to bow before the idol. Everybody has to worship the way that I instruct them to do so. You remember the story? And they refused to do so. In fact, turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Let's see if I can find that. Daniel's one of those books that you don't go to very, very often, is it? My wife always made fun of me because I put little tabs or had the Bible with tabs in it. I'm like, yeah, you try to find Bible verses up in front of everybody. Daniel chapter 3. In verse 17, Nebuchadnezzar, he came to him and he says, you're choosing not to bow down and worship? And they said, no, we can't do that. He said, well, then you know we're going to have to throw you into the furnace. And notice in verse 17, if that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Come on. These are some boys that just chose to worship and know their God. And here they're facing the king that has the ability to throw them into the furnace. And he tells them point blank, are you telling me you're not going to bow down? And they're like, no, we're not going to. Well, then I'm going to put you in the furnace. Well, okay, if you do, our God will deliver us. Come on, that's bold, courageous, audacious faith. Jesus hadn't came yet. And yet they had the boldness to stand in the face of adversity. And what happened? King says, well, let's just stoke the fire up seven times hotter. And the the one soldier that tried to throw him in, he got killed because the fire was so hot just trying to throw the boys into the fire. But then finally, the king came to take a look. And what took place? The Bible says as he looks into the furnace, he saw that there was a fourth man in the fire. Come on, it don't matter what circumstance, what fire, what trial you're going through. As long as you've got the fourth man in the fire with you, you'll come out not smelling like smoke. There's always going to be things that contradict the Word of God. But there's no opportunity to walk in faith, to live a life of faith without contradiction. But God always proves faithful. 
you having Christ in your heart, can you at least have the kind of audacious faith that they do or they did? They didn't have Jesus. They didn't have the Holy Spirit as a personal, everyday, interactive relationship. But yet they faced an obstacle that was impossible and believed God. Does God put these stories in here for us just to say, Whoa, dude, they had such great faith. God put this in here for us to be admonished to say, If God did it for them, He'll do it for me. That's the God that we serve. A God that wants to demonstrate. A God that wants to prove. A God that wants us to step out on the edge of the unknown and say, God, I don't know where my next step is, but I trust and believe in you. And you say, well, how can I do that? His word. His word gives us the ability to have that faith. Lastly, turn to Colossians. Colossians chapter 4. Did we already turn there? Is that the one that we looked at before? No, it's Corinthians. Colossians 1, yeah, you're right. Thank you. Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verse 1. Actually, verse 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open up, open up or open to us a door for the word or the word of God to speak the mysteries of Christ for which I am in chains or also in chains. Notice what he said. Pray that the word would have an open opportunity to be ministered. Why? Because the Word is what makes things align correctly. The Word of God is what makes things manifested into the likeness or into the manner which God ordained it to be. He says, pray that there would be an utterance or that we would be able to to, uh, minister the Word of God and speak the mysteries of Christ. Notice verse 4. That I might make it manifest as it ought or as I ought to speak. Notice the word manifest. Pray for me that the word of God has an opportunity to be ministered. Upon ministering the word of God, pray that I'll be able to speak the mysteries of Christ. How many of you know that there are things that are mysteries to our head that says, I just don't get that. I don't understand that. How does that work? How does God do that? Why does God do this and do that? It's a mystery. Have we got it figured out yet? No, it's still a puzzle to me to think that Jesus came in the form of a man and died for me, but then empowered me to live a victorious life. It's still a mystery. But then he says, upon ministering this word, pray that I could manifest, demonstrate, reveal, make a showing of this word. As I ought. So God says. Upon hearing. The word of God. Upon the word of God producing faith. For uh, Romans ten seventeen says. Uh, faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So upon obtaining faith. 
there ought to be a revealing, a demonstration, a manifestation, a showing up of or showing off of God's will concerning his will or concerning his word. Amen? So let's just put that into real terms. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is about as elementary as it gets. If you confess Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, are you saved? Are you going to heaven? Absolutely. There was a revealing. How do we know that there's a revealing? Because you begin to experience the presence of God. The Word of God becomes alive to you once you've been born again. Right? Well, if we believe that, let's dare to believe the other. That God wants to reveal Himself in such a real way. To love on us, to manifest His presence. When we worship Him corporately together, that the presence of God just shows up and just messes with us. You know what I mean when I say messes with you? Don't you just love it when God just messes with you? Those times that you just boo-hooing and snot coming out your nose and you just look a mess, but man, you think, oh God, I just love being in your presence. <laughs> right? God wants to reveal himself. If we would just dare to believe. Just dare to have an expectation. Just dare to believe that, God, I want to know you more. Every time I come to church... Help me see it, understand it. Help me get it because I want more. Why limit God? Why put him in a box? Let's just believe God for big things. And when you're going through the fire, don't go through it by yourself. Invite the fourth man because you'll come out on the other side. Amen. Amen. Well, did you get anything out of this tonight? Amen. Well, let's do something a little bit different. I want to kind of incorporate this if this is all right. If you can, and I know this might be putting you on the spot just because we've never done this before, but based upon what you heard tonight, anybody, can anybody tell me something that they got tonight, something that they heard, something that stands out? Like, yep, that was, anybody? Yeah. Amen, that's good. Yeah, so in other words, uh, it doesn't matter how hot the fire gets. You know, it, we can look at circumstances, but as long as we always invite him out, or invite him into the fire with us, we'll always come out on the other side. Good. Who else? Dave? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Well, yeah, think about that. Yeah, uh, they, they dared to believe God not having the helper of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not been given yet, but yet they could believe God in the midst of the fire. How much more us that have the helper, the counselor, the teacher, the advocate, the standby to be able to go through the fire with? Amen. Anybody else? Yeah. Say again. 
No faith without contradiction. Exactly. Uh, if we're going to walk by faith, there's always going to be a contradiction in our life. Uh, just look at the, the, the subject of marriage. He talked about, you know, the husband and wife being likened to the church. Well, how much contradiction do we face within a marriage? There's always contradiction. But if we're going to walk by faith as the body of Christ, we're going to face contradiction, things that oppose us. Absolutely. Anybody else? All right. Amen. Well, good stuff. Good stuff. Amen. All right, guys. We love you. Appreciate you. Once again, remember, uh, Saturday, if you want to come out to church prayer at 9 o'clock, we'd love to have you. Thanks. subscribe to this podcast and take a look at all of our social media sites which can be found at our website gvchurch.tv we know that today's message has been a blessing to you thanks for listening we are genesee valley church loving god loving people and loving life